As you do, let's pray together this morning. Lord, we do indeed come here to praise your name, to bring you glory and honor to the King of all kings, of the whole world, of each of us in our lives, Lord. We come in awe of who you are this morning, God, knowing that you hold each of us in your hand, that there is not a thing that is unseen by you, Lord. But you are in all, and you're in each of us, Lord. And we thank you for that, that we do not walk this earth alone, but that you are with us. Your spirit is here present in this place this morning and with us in each of our days. God, I pray that as we sit in this place, as we worship you, as we hear your word proclaimed, Lord, that we would come closer to you, that you and your gentleness towards us would draw us nearer to you, that we would see you at work in each of us and in our lives, Lord. I pray that through that, that we would walk out of this place and into our days, our workplaces, our schools, our homes, our neighborhoods. God, and we would be your presence there. We would live there and that people would see us and see you. That through our interactions with people, Lord, your name would be proclaimed throughout the earth. Lord, form us into that this morning. Encourage us and build us up to go out and live that way, Lord. We pray for our time together, Lord, that it would provide rest for each of us. That as we sit in this place that we, in our tiredness, our weariness, our brokenness, Lord, may be filled by you. May we walk out of here with our hearts encouraged, our spirits lifted. Lord, the world moves fast. Time is moving fast. It's amazing that we are already at November. And there's so much ahead. Even as 2021 will quickly come to a close, Lord. And we ask that you would be with us in it. That as there is lots of pressure that we face in life from lots of different things, Lord, that we would extend grace and patience and peace to ourselves and to others, Lord. And that we would know that that only comes through you, through time spent with you, from knowing you, Lord. We ask that you would provide that for us this morning. Lord, I pray for the health of our whole body as we enter or in the midst of cold and flu season in the middle of a pandemic, Lord. We pray for kids as they're in school, for parents as they're interacting with their kids. For each of us, as we walk into grocery stores or jobs or um, interact with people in our homes or um, wherever we may meet them, Lord, you'd give us health and endurance to um, be healthy through this season. Lord, that you would provide us rest when we need it and wisdom to know um, how to take care of ourselves, Lord. We thank you for the opportunity to have students involved this morning, Lord. We thank you for each of these students, both up on stage and, and in the audience, Lord. And um, we thank you for their gifts, that they get to be a part of our body and we get to learn from them, that they get to lead us, Lord. 
We thank you for the ways we're seeing your body um, at work here, up on stage leading us in worship and sitting together, um, listening and worshiping together, Lord. We thank you that this is a place where we, in the wholeness of who we are, each of us coming, Lord, as your people, um, getting to worship together, Lord. We thank you that that gets to take place here, that we get to see that, Lord, and know that you uh, have called each of us, you have chosen each of us, Lord, to be your people. So, Father, I pray this morning that as we worship, as we hear your word, as Sean comes and shares with us later on, Lord, that our hearts would be encouraged, that we would come to know you more, Lord, and therefore go and live as your people out in the world. We love you, Lord, in your name. Amen. Well, welcome again to Peninsula Bible Church, Cupertino. We are glad you're here, that you've joined us this morning, both online and in person. If you're new or just joining us for maybe the first time or two, uh, we welcome you. We would love to connect with you. And you can do that either through our webpage uh, by clicking the Say Hello button or in the pew rack in front of you, there's a connection card. And you can fill one of those out and turn them in. Um, and we would love to connect with you and get to know you more. So feel free to do that. Well, we have uh, one announcement this morning, and that is that our Liberia Craft Fair is coming soon. It's November 12th and 13th. You can see the times on the screen. And this goes to uh, fund the Coca-Cola School in Liberia that we have partnered with for a long time. Um, and we are excited for this opportunity that is back um, post kind of COVID-ish, not really, but kind of. Um, it gets to happen, which is great news. Um, it'll be here in person, but there's also a new opportunity. It's an online silent auction um, that you can access through a link in the e-news. And that is a great opportunity if you're not actually able to make it here in person for the craft fair. So we invite you to check out both options. Um, if you uh, are attending here in person, there will also be the Cup of Hope Cafe from 11 to 1.30 on both the days that the craft fair is happening. So feel free to participate in that as well. If you're looking to be involved, other than just maybe attending the craft fair, they have an opportunity for you. They're still looking for some donations for both the online silent auction and things like gift cards or services like a cooking class or a vacation rental um, or for in-person any crafts or edible gifts, they're looking for those donations as well. So if you know um, of that, that you're able to give, they would welcome those. And if you have any questions, there is a uh, Liberia Craft Fair table in the back after the service today. You can also find contact information in the e-news bulletin. So feel free to check that out and participate in that coming up. Well, we have an exciting opportunity this morning as we get to commission a new PBCC ministry partner. So I'm going to invite up Brian Coleman and Mike Landgraf, um, and they are going to introduce Brian as a new ministry partner. Well, good morning, everyone. Here we go. Good morning, everyone. That works better. Um, first off, it's great to be here. Wonderful music this morning. Thanks, Becca, for the team. Um, one of the things we get to do is, uh, at PBCC is recognize people and their ministries and then to acknowledge that. Um, and we have Brian here this morning, Brian Coleman, um, as a ministry partner, and we're delighted you're here. Uh, what I wanted to do is, before we commission you, is just 
Learn a little bit about you. Why don't you tell us who you are, your background, and then I'll ask you the second question. <laughs> Sounds good. Um, hello, Cupertino. Um, ooh, fun. Uh, response. Um, yes, my name is Brian Coleman. Uh, I'm the area director for Young Life in charge of uh, Los Gatos, Saratoga, and Santa Clara University. Um, some of you may know my parents, Jim and Sharon Coleman. Um, they've been going here for years. Uh, and something you may not know about me is I love soccer. I love playing, watching, and coaching. And a more unique thing I love to do is crochet while I watch Netflix. Um, <laughs> But, uh, so I, grew, I actually grew up going to PBC. Uh, when I was a little kid, I got the apple, apple juice and goldfish. Uh, and then when I was in middle school and high school, I got donuts, so I liked middle school and high school a little bit more. Um, but uh, actually, the last time I was up here on stage, it was also for a, a, a mission-type thing update. I, had moved to, I was moving to Guatemala after graduating college to work at down in an orphanage for a year, and I was, that was the last time I got to speak up on stage, speak, be on stage. Um, so it's fun to be back with you all again today. When you said about the goldfish and juice, my grandkids love that too. So great connection. Great connection. <laughs> yeah. So the other thing, why don't you tell us a little bit about, so you're involved in the West Valley with Young Life. Tell us a little bit about how your love for Jesus Christ um, plays out. What does that look like in your ministry? Yeah, uh, I would love to answer that, starting with a little story. Um, so I was at Saratoga High School. I had been invited to speak at a religious debate club, and uh, a kid, in in the, uh, he was a little more abrasive towards Christianity, said, "Why is everyone always trying to convert me?" And uh, everyone argued for a little while because it was a religious debate club. Um, and then they said, "Let Brian speak." And I said, "Well, I believe that knowing Jesus." Um, is the, the best thing and the most important thing in my life. So, of course, I want to share that with as many people as possible. Um, and so that's, that's basically what we do in Young Life. Um, and we do it through... Uh, so the mis mission of Young Life is to introduce adolescents to Jesus and develop them in their faith. Um, and so one of the way, main ways we do this is um, we, talk, we support students. Uh, right now, it is harder than ever to be a teenager, to be a middle school student, high school student, college student. Um, there are more pressures than ever and different pressures than even when I was in high school just 13 years ago. Um, and so what Young Life does is we, me and my team of leaders, we show up for students. We show them that we care so that they will care how much we know. Um, we I, that's why I coach soccer at Saratoga High School. That's why some of my leaders went to a Halloween horse show on Friday night for one of the girls. Um, so we, yeah, I've never been to a Halloween horse show before. <laughs> um, but we do these things so that we can earn the right to be heard with students. We talk with them uh, about the normal things of life and we show up to the things that they're involved in so that one day they will care, hopefully, when we share with them about Jesus. Wonderful. We love your heart and your enthusiasm and love for the Lord and love for young people. That's great. Thanks, Brian. Thanks. Um, what I would like to do is invite the pastors and elders who are here to come up on stage and we can pray for Brian and commission him as a ministry partner. If you want to move oh, yeah. that, yeah.
will bow with us as we go to our Heavenly Father in prayer. Thank you, Heavenly Father, that you are the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And thank you for that we can come before you through your Lord, our Lord Jesus Christ, who loves us and has died for our sins. Lord, I pray for Brian to be led by you and to impact the young people and their lives. Lord, we pray for wisdom, that Brian will build relationships and speak into the young people's lives, that they will sense the sweet aroma of Jesus and Brian will be able to share the gospel of hope that is in him with the youth and the young people and that they would hunger for you, Lord. This is a generation where everything is relative. Um, wisdom is trampled in the streets. Young people have stresses, they're confused, and they're looking for truth. They're looking for meaning in their life, but they're spiritually blind. We pray that you're, by the power of your spirit, it'll be upon Brian and he's in, as he is involved with these young people in the West Valley area that you use his life, his words, and his actions to share the gospel and the love and grace of Jesus Christ for these people, young people who are looking for truth. Lord, we are excited to have Brian as a ministry partner and ask that you go before him to open people's hearts and lives and we look um, And as you do that, we will turn to our scripture reading. And for this, the passage from uh, John 12, which is this morning's text, I'm going to invite Lucas Bergendahl on up to read for us. The next day, the large crowd that have come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. All right. Well, thank you, Becca. Thank you, youth. That was great. So, we, uh, my name is Sean Reese. I'm one of the pastors here. And we continue our studies today in the book of John. And as you heard in our scripture reading... It is the Palm Sunday text. And I wonder if you remember our Palm Sunday in the parking lot. Do you remember this? Yes, we had donkeys. <laughs> Not only one, we had two. So good. I, uh, I enjoyed our parking lot services. I don't know if you did. I thought they were fun. They were outside, which I love. Um, they were a little bit of work. But what was great about it was we had people who weren't even on our property hearing the gospel. They were over in the apartments hearing the gospel. And, and actually on that Sunday, we had a visitor come for the first time and uh, she didn't know the Palm Sunday thing. And she asked one of the pastors, so your king rode a donkey? She got it. 
Our king rode a donkey. And not just our king, the king of kings rode a donkey. Let's pray. Oh, Lord Jesus, you are the good and true king. And we ask that you would come today and that you would rule and reign in our hearts through your spirit, but even more, that you would rule and reign in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So yes, today we experience Palm Sunday in October. Last week, if you remember, we visited a dinner with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And uh, during the dinner, Mary got up and poured a whole can full of pure nard on Jesus' feet. And then she wiped his feet with her hair. A scandalous act, for sure. But she is so taken in love and devotion and gratitude for Jesus, she acts with abandon, ignoring the cultural standards of the time. It's an act of extravagant devotion. And Jesus, in turn, connects this act with his burial. Kings are anointed on their heads, corpses on their feet. And this prepares us to read the rest of John correctly. Jesus will be a different kind of king. His crown will be made of thorns. His throne will be a cross. And his castle will be a tomb. That's the lens for how we are to read the rest of the story and especially Palm Sunday, the Palm Sunday text today. So I invite you into our text. It's John 12. We begin in verse 12, which is the text that Lucas just read. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast, that's the feast of, Tab- I mean, sorry, the feast of Passover, heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, so they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. So now, it's the day after that dinner, and Jesus rides into Jerusalem. We do call this Palm Sunday. All the Gospels record this event. And all the Gospels record the crowds that are there. It's hard to overestimate how big these crowds are. It's believed that Jerusalem's population more than doubled during the three great feasts, Passover being one. So it doubled from around 50,000 people to over 120,000 people. And this meant that the social dynamics of the city completely changed. First of all, that's too many people for the city to hold. So they would, the people would live in huts, not only during the Feast of Tabernacles, but during the other major feasts as well. But also, these crowds notoriously brought tension into the city. And that tension would need to be dealt with by the religious authorities. 
Now here it appears that those camping on the outskirts of the city join in with the crowd that's already accompanying Jesus into the city. Now this event uh, we typically call a triumphal procession. These processions were common at that time. A conquering hero surrounded by his army would return to his city, bringing all the spoils of his conquests. So his army would follow him, and behind the army, all of the new slaves from his conquered territories would be following. But in this case, in Jesus, with Jesus, there's no mention of army. There's no mention of slaves, just a large crowd. Jesus is a different kind of king. And this crowd enthusiastically ushers Jesus into the city with specific actions and specific words. They lay palm branches on the ground and they shout, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. Now, this is important because this tells us what the crowd is expecting from Jesus. First of all, the palm branches. For Palm Sunday, we typically love to watch our kids walk up the aisle with the palm branches and lay them at a cross. And that's a fun tradition. But in the first century, palm branches were symbols of nationalism. They're a bit like flags today. So, um, in 140 BC, when the Maccabees drove out the Assyrians, they are welcomed into Jerusalem with palm branches after the military victory. After Jesus, the Jews led two revolts against the Romans, and for these revolts, they coined new money, and you can see one on the slide there, with palm branches on the money. The crowd here is waving palm branches. Why? Because they are expecting Jesus to be a military leader. They are looking to him to crush the Romans and dominate the world. But then their words only confirm this. So they begin by saying, Hosanna. Now we think of Hosanna as praise or thanksgiving. Not in the first century. In the first century, it meant save us. Bring salvation now. In other words, drive out those Roman bad guys and set us free. They then say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That's Psalm 118. This psalm is sung during Passover, so it would be in the minds of the people. But it was originally sung to welcome a victorious Davidic king. It's a political announcement. It's a way of saying, here he comes, the one who will deliver us from the bad guys and restore Jerusalem to political dominance, which is why they finish with saying, even the king of Israel, which is not in the psalm. So it is clear from this crowd and from their actions and words, they are expecting a national liberator, a warrior king. Which is why at the end of the week, the same crowd can cry, crucify him, crucify him, because he hasn't met their expectations. Now, in this gospel, we've already seen this happen back in chapter six. In chapter six, Jesus feeds the 5,000, and then a crowd comes 
to force him to be king. He'll have none of it, and he'll um, escape from their grasp. He's a different kind of king. And here, he gives his expectation for kingship with his actions. John tells us that he found a young donkey, sat on it, and rode it into Jerusalem. Yes, our king rode a donkey. And by riding the donkey, Jesus is publicly claiming kingship. He is claiming kingship here. So let me just say a few words about kingship. Kingship has a rich uh, history in scripture. It began with Abraham. God had promised Abraham back in Genesis 17 that kings would come from him. Okay, so it's no surprise when kingship finally comes with Saul and David. The king is to be wise, to be for the people, and to be anointed with God's spirit. He's to be benevolent, a benevolent king. And God promises David that an eternal king with an eternal kingdom will come through him. Now, later in the prophets, the concept of kingship is modified significantly into the concept of Messiah, which simply means anointed one. And Isaiah will go on to describe a future anointed one as Emmanuel. And he seems to connect this, this coming one with a suffering servant who will give his life as an atonement for sin. But this Messiah, according to Isaiah, will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. Now, by the time of Jesus, the concept of Messiah had intensified until there was all kinds of fervor surrounding the theme of Messiah, this future anointed one. And there are many different expectations for this coming king, as we see here. Jesus' idea of Messiahship is way different than the crowds. He rides a donkey. And in the ancient world, what kings rode on declared for everyone the purpose of their entrance. If they entered a city on a horse, they were entering to conquer it. They were entering for war. If they rode on a donkey... They were coming in peace. John understands this. So he quotes Zechariah 9.9, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. Jesus is publicly claiming kingship here by sitting on this colt and fulfilling the Zechariah prophecy. And what's interesting is John's quote doesn't match perfectly Zechariah's text. John begins with fear not. Zechariah begins with rejoice. John says fear not. It seems John wants to emphasize that this king is benevolent. His reign is secure and there's no need to fear. He comes in peace. 
Now, John doesn't quote the next verse in Zechariah, but I think it's implied, and it clearly brings in the theme of peace. It says, I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall be cut off, and he shall speak peace to the nations. The crowds are expecting a military deliverer, and John points out what is really happening. Israel, your king is coming, humble and riding a donkey, and he will cut off your weapons of war. He'll cut off your chariots and your war horses and your bows and arrows. In other words, the Romans aren't getting cut off. All of your military might and your reliance on your military might is getting cut off when the king of peace comes. This king comes in peace even for the nations, not just for you, Israel. And there's no need to fear. This is why calling Jesus' entrance into Jerusalem the triumphal entry is a bit of a misnomer. It's not triumphal in the sense that he is conquering anything. This is the Prince of Peace coming on a donkey. A few days later, on Good Friday, Jesus stands before Pilate. Pilate asks him, are you a king? What have you done that they should deliver you up to me? And Jesus replies, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to you, but my kingdom is not from the world. Jesus' kingdom is in the world, but it's not of it. His kingdom is not a kingdom made up of crushing the bad guys. His kingdom is actually made up of dying for the bad guys forgiving the bad guys, dying for the nations to bring peace. It's a different kind of kingdom. His kingdom will bring light and life, not destruction and death. It's upside down. Jesus is a different kind of king not a warrior king, he's a servant king. And he, he won't encourage his followers to take up the sword, he'll encourage his followers to take up the cross. Just like him. Our king comes in peace, which means his followers are to come in peace. The church exists to demonstrate his rule and reign, his rule and reign as the prince of peace. So this week I was thinking about what would it look like for you and me to come in peace? To come in peace to, to our homes, to our neighbors, to our classrooms, to our workplaces, to our sports fields. After all, we may be the only Jesus, our family, our neighbors, our classmates, our colleagues, our teammates will ever see. At other times, Jesus blesses the peacemakers. Paul says, as far as it depends on us, live at peace 
with all people. So what would it look like for us to follow our king and come in peace in the midst of a fearful, panicky, and terrorized world? Well, perhaps it means I intentionally come in peace to those business meetings, maybe on Zoom even. (laughs) Perhaps it means I don't respond in revenge when someone cuts me off on the road or they don't use their blinkers. Perhaps it means I come in peace to the neighbor who's difficult to live next to. Perhaps it means I come in peace when I open up social media. Hmm. I don't respond antagonistically to an opposing view. Perhaps it means I don't bully someone I disagree with, but instead offer compassion. Perhaps it's intentionally being inclusive and not exclusive to those who look different than me. Blessed are the peacemakers. By the way, this is another reason to to do communion each week, which we have been doing this fall, because communion remembers the peace that Jesus brings to us through his death. But it also nourishes us to be peacemakers throughout the week. See, communion isn't just something we do. It also forms us into a way of life, a way of peacemaking that imitates our king, the Prince of Peace. Verse 16 His disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. (laughs) Well, these verses provide a bit of a transition to the rest of the chapter. The disciples misunderstand, as the crowd has done. Although the disciples understand Jesus as the Messiah, they can't quite put it all together. That is until Jesus is glorified. And when is he glorified? In this gospel, his great glorification is at the cross. John goes on to say that many in the crowd continued to talk about the raising of Lazarus. Jesus was growing in popularity, especially because of his raising of Lazarus. Jerusalem was abuzz with intense emotion. The social situation had changed and the religious authorities would have to deal with it. And we hear from the Pharisees here, they are exasperated. They don't know how to deal with it. Um, So they begin insulting each other. (laughs) 
And a bit like Caiaphas' prophecy in chapter 11, they speak better than they know when they say the whole world is going after him. And isn't that what has happened over the last 2,000 years? And who shows up next in our text but the Greeks? Verse 20. Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip then went and told Jesus. And we're going to stop there for this week. The Greeks come. Now what's interesting is, back in the Zechariah text, if you would have kept reading, the sons of Greece show up there. And ultimately, they're saved and brought into the flock of the Lord. Here, the Greeks arrive. The whole world is indeed going after this man. As Matthew recorded in Jesus' birth, the Magi are drawn to Jesus. And here, at the end of his ministry, his earthly ministry, the Greeks are being drawn to Jesus. The nations are coming. And the Greeks find Philip... Probably because Philip has a uh, Greek name. Philip is a Greek name. And they say those famous words, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Now, as I I have said before, I don't think they just want to get a glimpse of Jesus. I don't think they want to go up and give Jesus a COVID fist bump. I think when they ask to see Jesus, they are saying they want to understand him. They want to understand who he is and and what his mission really is, like what makes him tick. They want to understand everything about him. And so they want to know what the best way to see him is. How can we see him best to understand his character and who he is and what he's about? They wish to see Jesus. And isn't that what we all want? We all want to see Jesus, don't we? It's the same desire that our family and our neighbors and our classmates and our workmates have every day. You youth, it's the same desire that your teammates and your teachers have. We want to see Jesus. We all want to see Jesus. It's why we're here this morning, isn't it? It's why we come to church. We don't come to see the preacher. We don't come to check a box. We make every effort to come on Sunday morning, on time, (laughs) in order to see Jesus. And each Sunday, the leadership team here desires to give you a picture of Jesus, to point you to Jesus. That's our desire. Now to that end, I had my daughter paint me this picture And I'm going to put it in my office. So to remind me, when people come into my office, they want to see Jesus. And I want to show them Jesus. Maybe by being a peacemaker. But whatever it is, I want to point them to Jesus. Now, in response to the Greeks' request, Jesus will give his last public speech um, before his crucifixion. 
It'll be love's last appeal. And that's the text we'll look at in two weeks. Next week's the men's retreat. And what he says is quite stunning, quite unexpected. It's upside down, as you can expect. But he'll answer what the Greeks are looking for, who he is, what his mission is, what he is all about, and then how to best see him. So those are the questions that will frame our next sermon. But in today's text, this Palm Sunday text, I think what we are seeing more than anything is Jesus is the great king. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. Right now, he's king of kings. Things aren't as they appear. He is the king of kings right now, enthroned as the king of the universe. He says as much after his resurrection and before his ascension. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Note well, he says all. He doesn't say some. He doesn't say a little bit. All authority has been given to him. It means there's not a realm of life anywhere in the universe over which Jesus Christ is not king. Abraham Kuyper said it this way. This is one of my favorite quotes, and you've heard me quote it before. There is not one centimeter of human existence to which Christ, who is king and Lord of all, does not point and say, that is mine. All authority. This means he rules and reigns over all of science, all of art, all of culture, all neighborhoods, all nations, all of you, and all of me. He's the great king. Now he's a different kind of king over a different kind of kingdom. And at this point in history, his kingdom is not complete. It is a present reality now, but it's not completely here now. It's now, but not yet. But scripture's clear that he will have the last word. He will come and set everything right. But until then, until he comes again, how is he ruling and reigning? How? He rules and reigns through us. He rules and reigns through us. Through inviting us to submit our lives to his kingly authority. He rules and reigns by each one of us surrendering to his authority in all of our lives. And that of course means that nothing else holds ultimate authority in my life. I'm a follower of Jesus first and foremost. Social media doesn't hold ultimate authority in my life. My political leanings, they don't hold ultimate authority in my life. The culture doesn't hold ultimate authority in my life. Jesus does. There is not one centimeter of my existence to which Christ, who is king and Lord of all, does not point and say, that is mine. 
I grew up with this idea that there was part of my life where Jesus was king, usually Sundays. <laughs> and the rest six, the other six days were, that was my time. <laughs> I was king. That's a false view of life. Jesus is king over all of life. He has authority over all of my life. This is how he rules and reigns today. Now this, of course, means that all of life is sacred. All of it. There isn't part that's sacred and part that's secular. It's all sacred. When I'm mowing the lawn, that's sacred work. When I'm doing dishes, when I'm changing diapers, well, I don't change diapers anymore, but some of you are changing diapers. He's king over all of it. When I was working with young adults a few years ago, I did a series called Jesus is Lord, and each week we talked about what it would mean for him to rule and reign as king and Lord over different areas in our lives. So among other things, we talked about surrendering to his authority in the area of technology. We talked about surrendering to his authority in the area of sexuality. We talked about surrendering to his authority in our care of creation. We talked about surrendering to his authority in the area of social justice. In all of them, we try, we, um, we're trusting him to every area, to what he says in this book, in his word to us. Of course, we talked about many other things. All authority has been given to him. So I intentionally surrender to his authority over all my life. I live by his values, his priorities knowing it's all upside down from everything around me, but I surrender to what he says is good and right and true. This is how he reigns, rules and reigns today until he comes again. And the hope is, right, the hope is that the people will look and see my life under his kingship and say, I like it, and I'm in. They want to see Jesus, right? So show them Jesus. And lastly, fear not. It's difficult, because there's nothing in our culture that encourages us toward his values and his priorities and his behaviors. But fear not. Go with great courage. Great courage to live this upside down um, life. Life in an upside down kingdom. Go in the power of the spirit to live these values and these priorities and these behaviors. Fear not. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. So fear not, have great courage. Amen. Now receive this benediction from Revelation. 
Grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come, from the seven spirits before his throne and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth. And may Jesus make his rule and reign known through you this week. Amen.